All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 9, or you can call it up on your little iPhone app, as you might be wont to do. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27, the last few verses of that chapter. Um, has anybody here ever run a marathon? Like a full bore? Okay, we've got two. Anybody else? Oh, man. I mean, because you should brag if you've run a marathon. You get the 26.2 sticker in your window. Is that it? 26.2? All right, so when you register to run a marathon and you're there and it's, and it's the day to do it, they give you a number, right? Am I, am I right? They give you a number. And what I've seen them do a lot of times is write it on you. They give you a piece of paper, but sometimes they'll write it in permanent marker on your arm and on your leg so that when you're running, it's clear who you are, that you're registered, that you belong in that race. Keep that image in mind because that image is very helpful, I think, for understanding what Paul is talking about in today's text. This, this idea of a runner in a race who's been marked and identified as, yes, this is a person in that race. We've been in this uh, kind of thought capsule in 1 Corinthians uh, for a few weeks now where Paul has been talking about how knowledge by itself puffs us up, but love and the application of what we know through our love is something that builds people up. And so in short, what he's been talking about is, is who we love should guide how we implement and employ what we, what we know. And so it's been this call for, 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 for humility and for, and for being discerning in the way that we love others and in the way that we love the world in which we live. And today, Paul's kind of wrapping up this part of the discussion of 1 Corinthians by talking about now, okay, how do you love yourself well in the gospel also? So this is 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. We're going to read this and then, uh, and then unpack it a little before we head to the Lord's table today. Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, and they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let me pray for us. Father, tune our hearts and our minds to understand uh, what it is that you're saying to us, and Lord, build a hedge of protection around us uh, when it comes to misunderstanding what you're saying to us here. Lord, would you help us to receive your word in the spirit in which it was intended? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So this past week, um, I had an opportunity to go to my son. I'm standing on cables that are bothering me. All right, here we go. Went to uh, my son's uh, fifth grade middle school awards end of the year ceremony. You ever been to one of these things? If you've been in school, you've probably been to one of these things where they, they get all the people in your grade together or all the people in your school together, and they go through the ceremony of giving awards to like you know, the, the outstanding student in social studies. And you get a little trophy or a little ribbon or a little plaque or a certificate, you know, or whatever. And they, and they kind of go through all, the, there's this big table with all the trophies and everything. And, they, and one of the features, by the way, my, my son, I am so proud of the year that he had in school. Um, I'm so proud of just, we handed our kids a lot of transition this year, uh, moving into school. And I just couldn't be more proud of the way that they all uh, just handled themselves in, in, a, in a tough, he's, he's over there smiling. Um, 
So I'm watching this happen, and, and, and there was a certain moment during this awards ceremony where I got shot like a cannon back into my junior high self. Um, and what happened was the principal came up. After most of the awards had been given, the principal came up and said, all right, now it's time for our final set of awards. And all of a sudden I perked up like, wait, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And this was the, uh, the most outstanding student overall award that they kind of give to each grade. Do you remember these? Did you guys have these in your school? It's sort of like the Oscar. It's sort of like the best picture Oscar, you know? Or the Nobel Prize of students in your grade, right? It's the one where they give it to the student who was just kind of overall the greatest thing there, right? (laughs) I never won awards. Never. I wasn't an athlete. I didn't really care to compete. I had good grades, but not great grades. I had a good attitude. I came to school. I didn't skip. I didn't miss. I wasn't homesick a lot. But I was kind of that B plus, A minus kid the whole time. But when they would start to talk about, now it's time for this award, I'm here to tell you something would start to stir in me. And it would be this question, what if I win this? And the logic would then begin to play itself out. Okay, I'm not the best athlete, and I'm not the best student. I'm not the best looking. I don't have the best attitude. I don't have the best attendance. But what if you averaged all those things together with all the students, and somehow, through math, (laughs) I rose to the top. And the teachers got together, and they said, we just keep coming back to this Russ Ramsey kid, don't we? I mean, he just, he is ah, kind of the shining example of everything that we want our students to be in this school. You know, and all this would be going through my head, and then they would, they would announce, you know, for me, it was, you know, as, as, I'm, as I'm going through this, I'm like, I'm like Ralphie in A Christmas Story. You remember where the assignment is, write the you know, write a paper about what you want for Christmas, and he writes that paper about the Red Rider BB gun, and he has this dream sequence in his mind of all the kids just fawning over him and the teacher writing on the chalkboard, A plus, 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 you know? And I'm thinking that's about to happen. And then the kid who you know is going to win it wins it. What happens in my heart in that moment? I feel all of a sudden like I lost like I lost to that kid. But here's the thing about it. I never, except for those 30 seconds when the principal was telling us that that award was coming, ever thought about winning that award. I never tried to be that kind of academic student. Never tried to be that kind of athlete. I never tried to be that kind of person with that attendance record. And yet, just the hope that maybe, maybe I might accidentally win it would raise this hope in me that this could be my year to where I would feel sometimes tears kind of come into the corner of my eyes because I lost now. Has this ever happened to you where you've, where you've had hope that I might accidentally win the big prize? You know what that's like? Anybody ever experienced that where you think I might, maybe I just don't see it. Maybe everybody else sees it. Maybe everybody else thinks, yeah, of course you're going to win. But that feeling, let me tell you, is not ever going to come through for you. We don't win accidentally. You don't achieve, nobody wins an Oscar accidentally 
or a Nobel Peace Prize or the Tour de France or the World Series on accident, right? What do you do? You work for it. You train. You get in there. You pour blood, sweat, tears, discipline, self-sacrifice. And that's just to be qualified to compete against others who are also doing the same thing and who are also disciplined competitors. We're not going to accidentally win the big prize. Paul is writing to a church that is, and we've known it throughout this letter, a church that is full of people who are spiritually immature. They're growing, and he's writing this letter to help them grow, but they have ways that they think it's supposed to go as a Christian, and so do you and so do I, right? If you're a Christian in this room, you have certain expectations of what the Christian life should be. And when those expectations aren't met, you feel like, wait, did I just, did I just accidentally lose something that I thought I, w- I might accidentally win? Do you, know that, you know that feeling? That's, that's what he's writing to, and he's, and he's writing to correct something in their minds. He's writing to tell them, you, you won't accidentally excel in living out your faith. This has to be an intentional thing that you are fully engaged with. Paul has this illustration that is just like a softball on a tee for these people in Corinth. And that is, let me just use the illustration of a runner running a race or a boxer fighting. It's a great illustration, ready for all of them. Why? Because in the city of Corinth, it was home to something called the Isthmian Games. The Greeks put all those consonants together. But this is an Olympic-style event uh, that would take place every two years, and people would come from all over the world. They would train like Olympic athletes to compete in the races and in the boxing and in all the other things that would be going on during these games. It's kind of like the Olympics, which means that in the city of Corinth, this city was filled with actual Greco-Roman athletes who were always running around. You could see them on the hillsides, running up and down. These people that you just looked at them, if you've ever been around professional athletes, you know, you kind of look at them and you just think, you don't look like the rest of us, right? And, and these people were there. They were in Corinth and they were training all the time. And, and Paul's illustration is this living present reality for folks that, that you see this and he's telling them, you, the Christian life is like this. It's like a race, it's like a race that you're running, but, but unlike the little green vine wreaths that the competitors get in the Isthmian games, the prize that you get is an eternal one. It never fades. It is, it is a glorious thing. So don't run aimlessly. And don't box like a boxer who's just beating the air. Discipline yourself to run the race well. Be in the race with purpose. So what is Paul trying to say through this illustration? If you saw at the end of his text, he makes kind of a shocking claim, doesn't he, or a statement. He says this. He says, I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That should startle us. Because what could that mean? It could mean that Paul is saying, If I'm not disciplined enough, I might lose my own salvation. It could mean that, but it can't mean that. And I want to tell you why it can't mean that. Paul isn't talking here about if you don't work hard enough, if you don't get your stuff together, if you don't practice hard enough and really get serious about your Christian life, 
you might just get disqualified from, from heaven. God may say, eh, you know what? It started off okay, but your heart's not really in it, and I'm done with you. We know that can't be what he means because this idea that Paul might forfeit his salvation by not working hard enough defies everything that the New Testament says about salvation. Paul himself in Ephesians 2 wrote this. He said, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, and it is not a result of works so that no one can boast. And this is the teaching of salvation in Scripture. In the New Testament, Paul is saying, you will never be able to boast in your own efforts as the thing that saves you, ever. You can't. This is a gift of God from beginning to end. You're saved by grace, which is from Him, through faith, which is from Him. So we can never boast in our own salvation. But we also know this can't be, you could say, well, what if Paul just changed his mind? You, you can't go that route either because at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, this letter itself he says this. He makes it explicit that you, you can't forfeit your salvation. You can't forfeit your salvation. He says this in chapter 1, 28 and 29. He said, God chose what is low, and he chose what is despised in this world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And he goes on to talk about how Christ is their only redemption. He's their only salvation. He's their only hope. They can never brag in anything that they do, but that they are the beloved children of God. He calls them saints in the beginning of this. So he can't be saying to them, you better get your act together or you might lose your salvation. But he does say, I discipline myself, I keep my body under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What does he mean, disqualified? If you can forfeit your salvation through your lack of efforts, it also means that you can preserve your salvation through your efforts, which also undermines what Christ taught us about our need for him and the, and the reason for the cross. So if he isn't saying, approach the Christian life with the discipline of an athlete lest you lose your salvation, what is he talking about? Let's get into that. A word of caution, I think, is appropriate here, and that is that <clears throat> this is a passage of Scripture that can be, and perhaps for you has been, used as a blunt instrument. Just something to just hit you over the head and say, you're just a slacker. You're just a spiritual slacker. And it would be really easy for me to tell you that this passage is saying that you need to buckle down. You need to try harder. You're not doing enough. You're not disciplined enough. You're lazy. You're listless. And God doesn't like people who cut corners. We could go there. We could go there. And it's a tough passage because Paul is calling us to greater spiritual discipline in our lives. There's no question about that. He is. He's calling us. You need more spiritual discipline in your lives. But the reason we need more spiritual discipline in our lives, hear me on this, because this is vital for this passage meaning anything to you, is that Paul isn't writing this because we're generally lazy people. He's writing this because we are, all of us in this room, fiercely disciplined and dedicated people to the things that we value the most. It's not that you're lazy. You are incredibly disciplined and devoted to the things that you believe give your life meaning and value. Whether it's, you know, leisure, 
whether it's your career, whether it's your name recognition, whether it is where you rank in the company in which you work, whether it is how people perceive you relationally, you are committed to the things that you believe are the purest expression of what gives you value. It's just that for many of us, what we believe defines us or gives us our significance has little to do with what Christ told us should. And so we end up like runners who are running aimlessly and not running a race. We end up like boxers who are just beating the air and accomplishing nothing, even though that is our discipline. Even that is the way we run. So we fixate on our past failures. We fixate on our past successes. We fixate on what makes us lovely in the eyes of others. These are the things that we run after. The problem is is that the goal, the end game, these are moving targets and you're not going to ever finish. You're not going to ever finish. This is what it means to run aimlessly. We chase after mirages, after conclusions that we draw, that if only I could do this, then, or if only I could stave off this, then, and we give ourselves with a fierce discipline to that stuff. The crux of Paul's entire argument here, every phase of this letter, has hinged on one glorious reality in 1 Corinthians, in the whole letter, not just this text, but everything he's written so far, is that in Christ, you have an identity. You have an identity already as his beloved son or his beloved daughter, and nothing can strip us of that. Is that where your passion and discipline lie? That's the question that this text is asking you. Is that where your passion and discipline lie? In who Christ has said that you are? Remember that illustration at the beginning, that picture of the marathon runner with the number written on his arm and on his leg? That is the reality for every Christian. It's not that you're thinking about entering the race that Paul is talking about here. It's that you're already entered into that race. The numbers have already been written. The identity has already been written on your arm. It's been written on your heart. It's been written on your legs. It's been written on you. And Paul is saying, this isn't a question about getting registered for the Christian race, Christian. This is a question about, look, you're already registered for this race. You're in this race. There is an end game. There is a goal. There is discipline. There are things that you need to do that you're called to do to run this race well. Are you just standing there at the water cooler with the numbers written on your arms and on your legs saying, I don't really know what to do with myself. I don't really know what to do with my time. Why does it matter? Why does Paul, is Paul just saying, uh, I'm not seeing the straight lines that I like to see in this church. I want this church to be more put together. And you really need more spiritual discipline to get yourselves more the way we want it to really kind of be. Is that his motive? Look better, church. No. Annie Dillard, one of my favorite writers, made this statement. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Think about that for a minute. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. We've had 170 days in 2011, give or take. How we've spent them is how we've spent 2011, this half of a year. Your life, I'm going to tell you something you will not believe. You'll believe me kind of uh, theoretically, but practically speaking, you probably won't believe me. You ready? Your life is a vapor. It's happening fast. And you only get one. And this is it right now. You're spending it. And it won't come again. And Paul is saying, Christian, you not only have this life, 
but you have this life infused with new life, with the life of Christ, and it's happening right now. And you have your identity written on your heart, written on your mind, written on your arms, written on your lips. Live this life. Live this life, the life to which you have been called. And you say, I don't know how to do that. Some of you may be thinking that right now. That's a very fair question, right? I don't know how to discipline myself. If you're wanting to be, how, how many of you would consider yourselves to be a runner? Not in the spiritual sense, but in the physical, athletic sense. Hands up, let's see them. You're runners. Okay, to those of you, very few. To those of you who don't <laughs> consider yourselves to be runners, let me just ask you, interact with me. Why not? You can, can you run? I mean, we, you know, if you, if you have, and I'm not presuming you do, but, but if you have two working legs, you, you know, and no major injuries, which some of you may have, and, you know, bad knees, whatever, but some of you, you know, we can run. Why, why don't you consider yourself a runner if you can run? It's too hot? Okay. What else? Because I don't, because I don't run. What's that? Cycling's more. I do other things. I mean, I'll tell you why I don't consider myself a runner, and that is because um, it's hard for me to run a mile and a half without stopping, right? I've been a runner, and then, uh, well, just between you and me, I kind of let myself go a little bit. Um, But that's what we think, right, is if I I, want to become a runner, what we mean when we say I'm a runner is it means I can go out and run today, right? I'm in running shape. How do we get in running shape? One way people do it, I mean, you can say, well, you just lace up your shoes, you get off your couch, and you go, right? Yeah, good luck, you know? One way I've known people to get in running shape that I think has a lot of wisdom behind it is they say, I'm going to sign myself up for a marathon in the fall. That's how I'm going to become a runner, is I'm going to have a finish to this plan, and that will get me off the couch, because I know that that day is going to come, and they're going to write that number on my arm, and whether I like it or not, I will be a runner in that marathon. Will I run it? And that end game, that goal, that promise of this thing to come motivates you and gets you up and gets you moving. But what happens in the meantime? You wheeze and you pant and you fall over after a half mile. And then you get to three quarters of a mile, and then to a mile, and then to two miles. And before you know it, you've broken through that threshold where you can kind of just run now, right? And what happens as a result of that? Potato chips aren't really that good anymore to you. Carrots, though, those are good, right? Vegetables, you want those now. And you think, why do I want vegetables over pizza? Why do, you know, and it's because your body is responding to the training that you've done. This is what Paul's calling us to. He's saying, spiritually understand that as the Christian life is a metaphor of a race, you're a runner in it. There is an end for this. There is a destination. There is something that is coming for you. Let that drive you. You have an imperishable crown that is coming. Don't be the guy who's just standing there with the number written on your arm and you're just sort of wandering around at the, at the, at the water cooler table talking to people. Get in this, live in this. This is the life. This is the life that you have right now, so run it. What keeps you from doing this? What keeps you from really leaning into the love that God has called you to live out of? 
the love of your spouse, the love of your friends, the love of your church community, what really keeps you from leaning into this calling that God has on your life to work at your job and your vocation with excellence? What is it that keeps you from going deeper into a relationship with God, into devoting more time to prayer, and devoting more time to the study of his word? To answer these questions, Paul gives us a clue here. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> Little voice over here said, message received. Awesome. <laughs> well, I guess I'm done. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Listen, to answer the question of why do we stop? Why do we stop short? Why do we not engage with the things that God's called us to do? Where have you forfeited grace in your life? Where has God said, here's my abundant mercy for you. Here's my grace for you, my love for you. You don't need to worry about who you are. Where are those places where you've said, I hear that, but I don't, I need to, I can't take that. I need to, I, I really need to manage this on my own. I really need to control this on my own. I really need to set this up and put it together on my own. This really has to be my thing which is another way of saying, I really have to run aimlessly in this. I really have to just beat the air. Where have you forfeited grace in your life? What are you setting aside? What have you set as- where have you set aside the freedom and mercy that grace affords you in exchange for listening to voices that tell you, don't engage, don't engage, don't go there, don't go there? Where does that happen for you? Christ is the answer to the problem that this scripture is giving us. He's our example, but he's not just our example, he's our victor. He's the one who has run the race perfectly. He's our example in that everything in his incarnate life was for the purpose of finishing what he had come to do. But when he finished what he had come to do, for those who would believe in him, what happened? His name is written on my arm and it's written on my leg, and it's written on my heart, and it's written on my mind, and it's written on my lips. It is who I am. I am his. I am his. I belong to him. My destination is where he is. That is the end goal for me. I'm not aimless in life, and neither are you. If you're in Christ, you have a call to pursue him with everything that you have and with everything that you are. Do you know what the crown is? Unlike just a vine of reeds that are perishing immediately, It is everlasting life in the presence of the maker and lover of your soul who has already won the race for you. This is what Paul is calling us to. Will we not then train? Will we not then discipline ourselves? Will we not then see that training and disciplining ourselves is not to keep an angry God from disowning us? but as a response to mercy and grace, as a response to saying, you have already given me my identity. You have already made me a runner in this race. For the glory of your name, I want to run it with everything that I have and with everything that I am. Will you not run that race? Pray with me. Father, our hope in this life is not in accidentally winning a prize that we never really intended to compete for. Uh, But our hope is in living as people who know that 
victory has already been secured for us. That you have defeated the power of sin and death in our lives and you have called us to be your witnesses in this world. Father, would you so stir in us and so motivate us? Oh, by the right things, Lord. Protect us from being motivated and driven by guilt. But Lord, having said that, would you liberate our hearts to be driven and motivated by mercy and grace, by what you have made us? Father, we give you thanks that your word is true. We give you thanks for your presence here. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.